BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Initiate. Broadcasting from the Rock and Roll Bomb Shelter. I'm ready. I want to rock! Surrounded by radioactive biscuits and the world-famous Rock Eyes. Located 40 feet beneath the radio station. It's the Big Fat American Rock Show. With your host, the Doc of Rock, the Professor, everyone's favorite mad music magician, crazy uncle, and your best friend in the whole wide world, Zach Martin. Make sure you follow the Big Fat American podcast on Facebook at Big Fat American, Twitter at Zach Martin Rock. Same goes for IG. You can listen to the Big Fat American Rock show on New HD New York as well as New HD LA. Download those apps. Try the shout out feature. Pretty cool. On today's episode, we have two legends. First, we're going to start off with a classic interview from Jimmy Page that we did in Soho many moons ago discussing the remastering of the first three Led Zeppelin albums, followed by Dave Mason. What is Dave Mason up to? Well, you find out on today's Big Fat American Podcast. But first, the legendary Jimmy Page. These remasters must have been a big project for you. Did you start with the stereo masters of the album, or did you actually remix from the multi-track? Well, what I wanted to do with this was um, go through all of the original reference tapes that I had. So that, that went back to 1968 and all, the, all through the years of, this, of the studio material so that the, the mixes that were done were done of the time. So uh, rather than revisiting multi-tracks and just be a can of worms, with this, it, it was going to make a much truer picture like, for example, the material you heard on uh, from Led Zeppelin Three, it was going to give a much uh, a, a more intimate picture of what was going on with the studio recording at the time. Uh, so it becomes like a window into it where you hear all this extra stuff. And the, uh, I mean, the, the music itself is uh, on the studio albums are, is really expansive um, and, uh, and, and quite variant. Um, however, this gives extra sort of insights into the picture of, of what was going on. Um, and that's what I intended to do across all of the catalogue. And that's what's... Now you've heard the first th three on its way. Zach Martin with Jimmy Page. Now Led Zeppelin II was recorded at various studios in the US and the UK. Was it harder this time to keep the album sounding consistent from song to song with today's higher-end remastering? Uh, well... It's, it's quite right that we recorded um, in different studios across all of the albums and different engineers were also employed uh, across the albums as well. And different locations, the idea of it was to give a different sonic picture to each of the tracks. 
Now, I don't know whether I pulled that off, but pretty pretty much that was the idea. Um, so you've got... You've got um, that's that's how it gets to the point where we're doing recordings with a light, with a truck at Headley Grange. You know this famous thing with the fourth album and all of that. The the character of the of these alternate versions or alternate mixes or whatever is still there, and you can still. I mean, I can hear the the rooms that they've been done in, um, and you, the uh, as far as the the modern. The, the modern uh, remastering and all of that, uh, I, I think it probably is, accentuates what you have. Jimmy, you've said that there were some writing sessions with John and Jason after the reunion. Would you ever consider purposing some of that for your solo album? You could use a guest vocalist, uh, I don't know, like uh, Robert Plant? Well, I've got certainly the, mu- the music that I was presenting there. Um, I could... that. that I know what it what it was and what it is, and I could do that at, at any point of time, um, because it's it's a bit like the Led Zeppelin or what I wrote with the Led Zeppelin. You, it, you can you can present it in so many different ways. Do you know what I mean? I think you know if you've got like a song or or or, or whatever or a riff or whatever you've got, you can always it can always be presented in so many different ways to change the sort of. It's got a character, but the, the different clothing that it's wearing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would definitely, an intent to be sort of. I've done this Led Zeppelin stuff for quite a while now, and as it's coming out over a couple of years, that gives me an opportunity to start concentrating on doing some live stuff. Um, the person you're mentioning about singing, I think I'd, yeah, I'd concentrate more on the initially on doing the uh, instrumental side of things um, and then and then bring in singers once the whole bed of it is is constructed. Zach Martin with Jimmy Page. Jimmy, you've worked with a number of vocalists over the years. Do you think you'd be more inclined to work with one singer on your next album or do you think you'd want to work with a number of friends? Who might get that call? Paul Rogers, Chris Robinson... David Coverdale, Lenny Gaga. No, I don't want you to mention any names because you might think that I'm directing my answer to any one of the ones you've mentioned, and I certainly am not. I've, I, I've been so lucky to work with all of those wonderful singers, you know, uh, um, and uh, I'm in the cream of the crop, isn't it, right through the, the board of it. Um, but I've got to say that when you start talking about singers, and if people think you're doing something, things are a bit, you know, singers are being thrown at you. Um, and I just see that as a juggernaut. Do you know what a juggernaut is? Yeah, it's like a tractor-trailer. Tractor-trailer of politics. Have you started sourcing any of the unreleased material that you've been using for the next wave of remasters? Is there anything that you can tease us with? No. The, the first answer is sort of yes, uh, the, I've done the whole. I've done all of the all of the material, going through all of the studio albums that we know, like House of the Holy and and uh, Physical Graffiti Presence, Into the Outdoor and Coda. All of all of the musical content is like you've heard today is uh, is the alternate mixes and the the, the companion audio is all completed. 
Zach Martin along with Jimmy Page, our exclusive interview. A lot of Zeppelin fans, they, they have a number of coveted releases, um, unreleased performances, I should say. Have you ever considered releasing more of the Earl Court 75 shows on video? Well, I'll tell you what I've been considering. Over the last... It does run into about three years with trying to get the, uh, the O2 celebration day out because uh, that was it. That was imperative that that came out because it was only the one concert, you know. Um, and we did we did really really well. Uh, so that was important that, that there was a visual and sonic document of that. And then there there was this real. Well, it's quite a long haul to do this properly. What this thing that we're now talking about. Um, and at the moment, that a lot of the releases you're mentioning, Earl's Court. Um, and there was a bit of that on the Led Zeppelin DVD, wasn't there? So you've got you've got these sort of things, but they're all what are they? They're all live. So this is why it was so important, I felt, to get like this whole sort of studio balance out there. Um, by the balance, I mean the sort of you know scales. Once again, some of the questions come from some of your biggest fans, and this might be a touchy subject for you. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think we'll ever hear a solid recording of the 80 U.S. tour rehearsals with Cara Salumbra? No, no. I, I, I guess, you know, all of this sort of stuff sort of gains mythical proportions. And all I can say about the, the bootleg is that as far as I was concerned, I wanted to know every sort of bootleg that was out there as studio material. And I paid great attention to know what was out there uh, to make sure that what I was putting out was not what was already out there. So I, I paid a lot of attention to that. Um, that that's it, really. You, you know, but all of this, what I'm trying to say is so much time has been sort of devoted to this whole Led Zeppelin thing. That, um, um, and it's, it's worthy. It's the right thing to do. But I've got other things to do now. Another listener question here from Chris. If wearing and tearing is the style direction you would have taken after In Through the Outdoor, did you ever get the feeling that John Paul Jones was trying to start that dialogue with his Zuma album in 98? I don't know what he... I, I can't... Unfortunately, I can't give a good answer to that because I don't know. He's obviously the person who's asking this question knows his point of references. Wearing and tearing was something that was done at sort of a frenetic... Um, uh, outflow of energy from all, all of us, you know, and it was, uh, it, it, it was, that's, it, yeah, it was, it, uh, what was it? I was, no. Okay, but it was an, uh, okay, so wearing and tearing was just a real outpouring of energy and it's, it's really, um, it's really pretty aggressive. Um, I wouldn't say that what would have come uh, it's all hypothetical, isn't it? Yeah, really Wasn't going to be really fast and aggressive, and no, not at all. But it would have been pretty sexy. Jimmy, did you feel a kind of pressure when you and Robert were recording "Walking into Clarksdale"? Um, well, "Walking into Clarksdale," he was very keen to, and that, I, that the guitar was not uh, overly orchestrated. Uh, you know, he, he was wanted to keep it quite sort of bare essentials. Well, I didn't mind that at all. I thought, yeah, sure, fine, I'm, I'm fine with that. So um, that's, that's sort of how that was. It was pretty, 
almost minimalist. Jimmy, there are so many rumors, myths, and legends about Led Zeppelin. What is the one that you would most like to dispel? Do you have any crazy tale that really did happen but never made it to the press? Can I say that, that what my, the way that I look at this and all of those sort of angles of like people's salacious sort of interests is that, that it doesn't really matter what, what uh, or it, doesn't, it doesn't bear any relevance to the music. It really doesn't. I know, you know, you just mentioned like a shark. Who really cares how long a shark is, you know? But they, they want to know how long a, one of the pieces of music is because it's far more rewarding to listen to the music. Now, you gave us some of the greatest concerts in history. What show did you attend as a spectator that really floored you? Maybe, what, well, one where I actually went there and, and uh, was knocked out, the O2 concert. But I didn't see the band on that night. Well, if you think about it, because I was on stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but the O2 was, that was a thrilling, awe-inspiring concert. Follow BFA on Facebook at Big Fat America. Zach Martin on Twitter at Zach Martin Rocks. And Zach Martin on Instagram. Wait, Zach is on Instagram? I can guarantee he has no clue how to use that. See all the interviews and videos at ZachMartinRocks.com. I'm Zach Martin. This is the Big Fat American Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook. Please like the page at Big Fat American. Twitter at Zach Martin Rocks. That's with an H. Same goes for IG. You can always send me a email, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at ZachMartinRocks.com. Now it's time to get into the second part of our program for today, which, by the way, you can always check me out on the radio at New HD and New HD LA. I do the Big Fat American Rock Show in LA in the morning, 6 to 10, and in the afternoon in New York, starting at 3 o'clock Eastern. Now we're going to welcome Dave Mason. Dave Mason, a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, member of Traffic. He invented the solo career. You might remember one of his great songs, We Just Disagree. Can't stop playing that one. He's got an album out, by the way, a reissue, Dave Mason, Alone Together, again, which is available on Amazon as well as iTunes. You want to make sure you download that. Like everybody else, we've been stuck at home for the past year. It's going on almost a year, right? Because of COVID-19 and hopefully by the summertime, things will start to get back to normal. But in the meantime, what have you been doing with yourself, Dave Mason? You know, when you get served lemons, you got to make lemonade. And everybody was asking me to, you know, you got to do something, man, do some little performance or something. Since I'm not very uh, adept or just, I don't like doing stuff just by myself. And I like playing guitar. Um, That's so weird. That's so weird because you're a solo artist and you don't like to do stuff by yourself. So I, um, I figured, well, you know what, let's, um, well, first of all, I saw the, the whole thing, what got it started off was, was seeing the Doobie Brothers um, version of All Black Water and what they did. And so well recorded and shot and the whole thing. And my um, good friend, John McPhee, I called him and said, hey, so, all right, how did you guys do this? Because if I'm going to try and do something with some other guys playing, really this the latency issues are just not allowing you really to pull it off with the quality that I'd want to do it. So he explained how it was done, um, i.e. everybody was in their own various parts of the world and locations. Uh, we cut a basic track, sent the track to, um, you know, to, to Pat and to Tommy, and they did their parts and filmed each other on on an iPhone and 
friend of mine down in Nashville, Rob Arthur, put this all together. So I said, oh, okay. I said, well, how about we, how would you feel about us, you know, if we did a version of Feeling All Right? Because that's, it's a simple, it's easy song. Everybody knows it. And it's kind of hard to screw it up. And, um, and he was in immediately on, on it. And I said, well, what would be really cool would be if I can get all three of you guys to be part of this. So he talked to everybody. Everybody was amenable to it. And then uh, obviously my choice for doing the drums was Mick. And I, basically, I mean, I was being a just a blatant, um, somewhat of a blatant commercial whore about the whole thing. In other words, I need some, I need some cash A guys to do this. And let me see if I can pull in, you know, artists that have their, you know, have their own careers and their own thing going on and see if I can put a little mini super group together for whatever reason. It is the Big Fat American Podcast. I'm your best friend in the whole wide world, Zach Martin. If you want to send me his email, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at ZachMartinRocks.com. If you're a famous rocker and you want to be a guest on the Big Fat American Podcast, I don't see why you wouldn't. That's the email, Zach at ZachMartinRocks.com. No K. It's an H, Z-A-C-H, at Zach Martin Rocks. You can also follow us on Twitter and IG at Zach Martin Rocks, Facebook.com slash Big Fat American. We're talking to Dave Mason, who put together an amazing supergroup. So who is part of this group, Dave? Well, Mick, of course, was amenable right off the bat. Sammy Hagar, I, I met recently uh, in Christmas in Hawaii, and Sammy had asked me if I'd do a benefit thing with him, which I said, of course, man, I'll be happy to do it, which got postponed because of COVID. Uh, so I asked him if he'd be into doing this. And then, of course, Michael McDonald, who I just huge fan of Michael's. And that everybody was agreeable. So I cut a little simple track in my own studio at home. I sent it to John McPhee, who was very instrumental in helping get the, the whole audio of this together. And Michael McDonald didn't live too far away. Uh, in California. So Michael Kent went to John's studio and Michael put the piano on, which was really the key to setting the whole vibe on that track was that piano part. And then everybody sort of, Mick was in Maui. He did the drums there. Tommy, I'm not sure where he is, somewhere. Sammy was in uh, around the Bay Area and everybody did their thing and everybody shot themselves on iPhones. And, and then it was basically all sent to uh to this guy rob arthur in nashville who is actually um was uh, peter frampton's uh keyboard player for a long time and has sort of become very adept at doing this Ho hold on adept oh, wait, wait wait was was that feeling all right uh, as your ringer uh no that's a blues thing da -da 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 -da. oh okay woman told my mother before i was born so you got a boy child coming. You're gonna be a son of a gun. So bad to the bone. Yep. Bad. You know, um, so anyway, Rob uh, has gotten very adept at doing this video stuff, and um, and he put you know went go to back and forth with stuff, and it took you know it took a it took a couple of months to put it all to you know really put it all together. But it just came out. I, I came out way better than any of us expected. Everybody was just oh my gosh, I was blown away. I listened to the premiere on SiriusXM. A little bummed out that I wasn't set up on my side of things with the radio station and all that. Cause I'm like, well, Oh my gosh, damn it. They, they had, you know, and I, my first reaction was when I get a hold of that Bob Buckman, I'm going to strangle him. Cause he probably <laughs> had his hand in it. Um, 
what was the benefit that Sammy Hagar wanted you to work on? Can you say? Because maybe we can help him out. It's a, it's a charity that, he, that, that, be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly what it is he's benefiting because this is no. a number of months have gone by here. But he does it every year. And it's a, it's a sort of more of acoustic-based sort of charity. He does it in um, San Francisco every year. And well, I think it's either to benefit some homeless or, or uh, obviously some underprivileged people. He, so, he's uh, a really he's a really cool dude. And when I found out that he was part of this project, I was like, oh, how is this going to sound? And he really surprised me, right? <laughs> I mean, you might have been surprised because you remember maybe hearing Bad Motor Scooter when he was with Van Halen or some of his solo stuff, I Can't Drive 55, you know, those right. classics. Right. He, he is really talented. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. What always gets me in trouble with artists is, and this happened with uh, Vivian Campbell. I go, what was your favorite version of Van Halen? Sammy Hagar version or David Lee Roth? So he picks Sammy Hagar as his favorite version. I agree with him because I think the musicality of Sammy Hagar and what he adds to the group was much more appealing to me as a musical type of guy than David Lee Roth, who's a great showman, right? It's right. like orange yeah, and lemon. Yeah. Yeah. You can't compare Right. So that ends up blowing up and ends uh, all over the world. I mean, it still creeps up every now and then when people are bored, what Vivian Campbell said about Van Halen and Sammy Hagar. So I figured that we could do the same thing by causing a little trouble, which you and I like to do. So <laughs> tell me your favorite version of Van Halen. Would it be David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? Well, I, you know, I mean, it's apples and oranges. Right, but... Just to you know, some trouble. Uh, but, but but I would just basically as a with that with the type of you know that the music musically, um, um, I would say that Sammy is probably a better fit within that sort of show, you know the, yeah. musically that way. Yes, but yes. but but David was you know as a showman, I you know it worked. Yeah. Uh, and, and David, David, what I liked about him is he would go really deep in the deck as far as blues and very interesting songs that he'd bring to the group. So, you know. Yeah. It's apples and oranges. Yeah, I mean, there, there, compare. There's, there's something to like about both of them, both things. I think, you know, maybe you should run for, uh, for governor of California. <laughs> your, your good answer is, is a way of not pissing anybody off is an inclination to me that. Well, no, no, I'm not even, be... I'm, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to play the politician here. I'm being genuine in the sense that there's, there's some good stuff on either, in, with either one. You I know. know. I'm just, I'm just, you know, giving you a, giving you a little guff. Yeah, I understand. Now, right. Let's, let's try to cause trouble this way. Okay. How long did it take you to realize that Led Zeppelin one was a great uh, cover album? by Led Zeppelin. Every single track just about. Was it well, it, <laughs> if you if you <laughs> if you want to cause some trouble, then let me put it let me this way. I was never a very a Led Zeppelin fan in the first place. Uh-huh. So, um you know, um I mean there's some there's some great stuff in there. Um it's a lot of there's a lot of I mean, I guess for me, you know, I mean, musically, I'm a song, you know, I'm a melodic guy. Okay? Oh, I like, I like what I you're going to say, a song. My, blue, my blues stuff is, you know, guitar wise is, is, is it, my, my guitars is a, is a combination of, uh, of Hank Marvin and every blues guy that existed. So, and, 
the, you know, the fact of the matter is that there would be no me, there'd be no Eric Clapton, there'd be no Jimmy Page uh, and the stuff that they did had it not been for all the blues stuff that was laid down by all the black artists here in America. That's where we all got it from. I mean, you know, Clapton, Clapton basically became a master of every blues lick that was ever played mm -hmm. and then formed it into his, but all of us, we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that. Well, I mean, it's, it's, this is where all contemporary music originates is America. So um, without that, there would have been none of the, none of us really. It's really interesting to me, uh, Jimi Hendrix, because you have a story to tell about that, where he was not really appreciated in the beginning here in the United States. He goes to England and he really, I guess, makes his bones, I guess, is the expression. He, he's like accepted into the community. It seems a, a lot easier. And uh, I think if he doesn't go to England, we don't probably never hear the Jimi Hendrix story as it was. What, what's your take on Jimi? Well, I, I, I mean, I would think that part of that is the fact of the matter is that, that at the time when Jimi had to go across the Atlantic to uh, to to find his thing, um, the bottom line, I mean, America was still segregated radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. We, we never had that in Europe. We never, we never had anything like that. Stupid, was, right? Just dumb. Yeah, we never had cigarettes. It wasn't black stations and white stations. It was just, it was just great records, or they weren't. So, um, we never had to deal with all that. Mm. And probably for that reason, you know, Jimmy would be, would have been more accepted over there. Mm -hmm. uh, and and on top of that, uh, you know, the there's a lot of great. I mean, there are just a lot of great, great, outstanding guitar players, in my opinion, uh, uh, just as a fact, but just in my opinion, there just are, there are no more Jimi Hendrixes. Hendrix, no. was, Hendrix was something else. And Jimmy was, he was a, a different space. He was like the Miles Davis of, 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 of that genre. That's who Hendrix was. Hendrix would take it to other places and use the guitars in ways that were, were not being used. How did you end up playing on All Along the Watchtower for Jimi Hendrix? You did the acoustic on that, correct? Yeah. Um, we Well, I just... Um, I mean, I first saw him when Chaz Chandler brought him to England, and Chaz, very smartly, actually, Chaz sort of paraded him around these semi-private clubs in London, uh, Scotch of St. James, Bag of Nails. Um, you know, they were, they were late night, late night semi-private clubs. But a lot of them are, all of us, I mean, you could walk into any one of them and there'd be McCartney or Jagger or Lennon or, you know, but there was only one place to go in England and that was London, unlike America. So you bumped into everybody. And, um, and I saw him, I was, I think it was the Scotch of St. James and all these late night clubs had bands. They would have a band playing, you know, just local band or something playing in there. Um, and, uh, I was there one night, I forget what hour it was. Uh, and this guy gets up on stage to sit in with the band, uh, 
little Levi jacket and Levi jeans and this big Bob Dylan afro <laughs> hairdo and starts playing fucking guitar with this band. And I'm like, who the hell is this? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like, I maybe should think of another, I should look for another instrument to play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was doing everything. It was, it was just amazing. And then I just, one night in the, in blazes, he was sitting there alone and I just sat down and started talking to him. And he was a fan of traffic. Hmm. And we just struck, struck up a conversation. And and then I, you know, and then we were all sort of, you know, the studios, we were all in the same studios. Um, the engineer was the same for Hendrix, for traffic, for the Stones. Um, um, mostly a lot of it. And we were all working in Olympic. Uh, so, and Jimmy and I sort of, and I used to want to, I used to keep wanting to get him to come down to the traffic cottage to jam and bring him down there. And I w would get a little resistance from the other three. Uh, um, <clears throat> but I, 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 I wish I could have pulled that off. Actually, I wish you to come down there. <clears throat> Cause we had a stage outside of the house cause we were just in the middle of nowhere. So we, we could turn the Marshall stacks up full and not bother anybody. Um, but that never happened. But anyway, we sort of, I hung out. We, I spent time with him in his apartment listening to records. Albert King was his just all time favorite guitar player. Um, and we just sort of knew each other. And then one day we were, get something. Anyway, we went to a friend of his was having a little get together at her apartment because she had an advanced copy of John Wesley Harding. And of course, everybody said, oh, we got to hear the New Dylan album. Everybody's going to hear the New Dylan album. <laughs> so um, we went over there, and I guess something, uh, we're playing the album, and I guess something struck Jimmy about Watchtower. And we were, I don't exactly remember how long, but anyway, a few days or whatever later, I was in the studio with him at Olympic. Um, and I played the acoustic guitar. Um, Jimmy had a um, six-string guitar. We sat opposite each other at a microphone, and it was just the two, three of us: me, him, and Mitch Mitchell. And that's how he laid down the basic track for all along the Watchtower. And then he put you know, he played the bass on it, did all the rest of the stuff. And huh. and at the time, we were actually. I think it was a period where I had left traffic after the first album. And I think, uh, I think it was that period in, there was a rift going on with Noel Redding and him. And Noel was kind of on his way out and I was going to take Noel's place. Wow. Playing bass, uh, which Hendrix's management put a stop to. So that never happened. Um, and then I did some other tracks with him. I play uh, playing bass and sitar, which I believe um, some of them are surfacing at the moment. Um, wow! See, I, I've uh, never heard this. Anyway, I've never heard you tell me the story before. Thanks for sharing. That's really cool stuff. So that's kind of how you know my thing happened with with Hendrix. I was just a I was just a huge fan. I was just like, I was in awe of the guy. He was just amazing. New HD is a unique media platform giving a means of expression to millions of individuals living on the autistic spectrum, as well as other additional needs. 
talent meets opportunity on New HD, where the neurodivergent community is given a voice in an environment adapted to their needs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at New HD Radio. Follow BFA on Facebook at Big Fat America. Zach Martin on Twitter at Zach Martin Rocks. And Zach Martin on Instagram. Wait, Zach is on Instagram? I can guarantee he has no clue how to use that. See all the interviews and videos at ZachMartinRocks.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.